The information and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ASRM and its affiliates. These podcasts are provided as a source of general information and are not a substitute for consultation with a physician. Welcome to ASRM Today, a podcast that takes a deeper dive into the current topics in reproductive medicine. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Jeffrey Hayes, your host for this episode of ASRM Today. In this episode, I'm speaking with Shalini Ramanathan, and she is here to talk about contraception. She's a clinical fellow in family planning at the Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Question right out of the gate for you here is that much of REI is focused on treating infertility. So where does contraception fit in for this specialty? Yeah, I think it's actually highly relevant. Um, and I think there's sort of three key areas that I think about as being mostly um, important for the REI. Uh, one is really related to novel targets. So I think there's this nice like yin and yang between infertility and contraception. A lot of the targets used for novel contraceptives actually can be critical in addressing infertility and vice versa. Um, so the biology of fertility and preventing fertility right, is essentially the same. For example, if we identify novel ways to inhibit ovulation, then we also understand the biology of failed ovulation, say in the case of PCOS. Um, another example is cervical mucus. We're actually learning more and more right now about the role of cervical mucus in sperm um, transport. And when we understand that process, we can also think about developing contraceptives that might target the cervix um, and prevent pregnancy that way. So really, when we understand the underlying biology, the application can really be relevant to both infertility and contraception. The other thing is that contraceptives don't really have to be used for contraception all the time, right? An REI really has a breadth of practice um, related to abnormal uterine bleeding. They see patients with premature ovarian failure, Turner's patients. All of these are conditions that a contraceptive, quote unquote, right, is going to be relevant for. These are hormonal methods that can be used for medical management of these diverse um, conditions. Um, and the third piece that I think is really important for the REI is that there's just sort of the good old fashioned use of the contraceptive too, right? If somebody is being optimized for infertility treatment, um, say a patient with repeat pregnancy loss who's undergoing myomectomy or other surgical procedures to prepare her for her IVF, IVF cycles, then that's going to be something where contraception obviously is super important and can be used effectively. Is there anything listeners should know that has changed in the area of contraception in the last number of years? Yeah, I think actually a lot of exciting things and sort of um, big changes have occurred in the last 10 years. Um, so just thinking sort of about the, you know, maybe top five things that have occurred. One, I think, is really improved access, and that's been sort of the most exciting thing in the last few years. We now have broader access to all types of methods, um, specifically long-acting reversible contraception is where a lot of um, access has really been approved. So Medicaid agencies, state programs, they're reimbursing these long-acting methods more broadly, which is fantastic in terms of patients getting access to them. Um, there's also a slightly modified levonorgestrel IUD uh, that's actually allowed for broader access too because it's at a slightly lower price point for some patients. So the access, I think, has been something that's improved. Um, the other thing is novel agents. So ulipristal acetate is a new player um, in terms of emergency contraceptives. And that's really expanded, again, sort of options for patients. It also allows um, uh, you to use the um, method up to five days after unprotected intercourse. So again, sort of expanding options there. Um, the other thing that's changed, too, is sort of the methods that now have even more extended use. 
We also have a combined hormonal vaginal ring that recently came out. It can be used for actually up to a year, the same ring for one year. Um, and this actually contains progesterone acetate and ethanol estradiol. And it can be a great option for, again, extended use of a hormonal method for all types of conditions, not just pregnancy prevention. And you can use it for up to a year, which is kind of a big game changer. Um, the other exciting piece is male contraception, which we are inching closer and closer to words. Not quite yet there, but um, in terms of new methods. But definitely some exciting things have happened. In 2018, we had the first study of a male contraceptive gel. And in 2019, we had a bunch of key studies that came out showing safety um, of male birth control pills. So we are getting closer um, to having something come to market soon. Um, and then one of the bigger changes too, in terms of sort of the uh, reduction in these sort of options um, related to contraception was in 2018, actually um, Bayer pulled eShore, um, which was the lone sort of transcervical option for permanent sterilization from the market. There was sort of this, um, you know, controversy around it with the FDA and sort of public opinion around side effects from um, eShore. And so that ended up actually kind of uh, reducing these sort of options that exist, but definitely something that was um, important to contraception in the last 10 years. What's the literature telling us currently about, I'm sure patients would have this question about what the safest contraceptive method? Yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, the standard answer would be that obviously it depends on the patient, right? Um, that there isn't sort of one um, magic pill um, that's the safest and not going to have side effects. Um, but I think often the sort of long-acting methods like the implant and the IUD are great just because they have fewer contraindications. Um, obviously, they tend to be more invasive and they require both the provider to place them and remove them. But just sort of thinking about a lot of the sort of, you know, contraindications to say combined oral contraceptive pill, um, those are probably gonna be a little less with a progestin-only method. Um, so that's sometimes I think where people might sort of lean towards in terms of thinking of safety. But again, it's not sort of a, there's not like a, a one, one size fits all approach. You did mention a little bit earlier about all of these different types of contraception, especially stuff that's that's newer, stuff that's really starting to sort of break ground. If you could provide providers with three things that they should know about contraception at this time, what what would you want to focus on? Yeah, I think the one key thing, um, you know, we we're kind of talking about safety and maybe um, what's the sort of you know, best contraceptive out there. One exciting player that has come um, come up in the last couple of years is the drospirinone only pill. So that's a progestin only pill, right? A lot of people can only use a progestin based methods because they have a contraindication to estrogen. Um, so this pill is exciting because we usually have to say that with a progestin only pill, you have to be really careful about their timing of your pill. You can't really, you know, miss it by many more than like three hours after your dose is due. But this pill, this drospirinone-only pill, is awesome in that it's very forgiving. Um, so you can have multiple 24-hour delays, and you still have great efficacy and ovulation inhibition with it. So I think that's something that's very exciting. Um, the other thing is um, related to PCOS. I think um, people are often wondering what the best pill is for those types of patients. And I would really focus um, folks uh, or encourage folks to think about something with less androgenic progestins like drospirinone or nergestamine. So that's going to be kind of your go-to for those patients. And then the other thing I think um, people get worried about is obesity, right? Um, a lot of providers are concerned that they're going to prescribe something that won't work or won't be um, effective for their obese um, or patients with obesity. But I'd like to encourage them that most methods really are pretty effective and still safe for these patients. Um, we don't have as much data as we'd want in terms of implants and patches in higher BMI patients. But again, most women can use most, most methods. 
Um, emergency contraception is one caveat to that. Higher BMI folks, maybe a patient with say upwards of 165 pounds, that's somebody who emergency contraception, especially levonorgestrel emergency contraception, wouldn't be as effective in. So again, regular um, sort of long-term long birth control, um, really obese patients can have um, their choice. So with pills, patches, creams, implants, all of these ways of, of contraception, what do you see then as the next big advancement? You know, I think we're working on um, rings that have olopristal acetate. So we're changing around sort of the um, type of progestins that we're using, the type of sort of um, compounds that are going into these um, methods just to have them be more sort of um, effective, more uh, reduced side effects, we're changing sort of the um, inputs. And then I think the male contraceptive piece is very exciting too. Um, and I, I do think that that is coming um, to market hopefully soon. And I think that's gonna, again, sort of um, equalize the burden of contraception and have, um, um, yeah, sort of broader um, applicability. And just to go back to, to refresh then, the, the male contraceptive is going to be cream-based or pill-based? There's, there's a number of options kind of in the work. So there's both a gel that would be sort of a longer term use that's sort of, again, focused on testosterone and progestins, um, trying to suppress spermatogenesis. Um, there is also um, a pill that is a similar sort of option. They are trying to think about pills that have targeted um, approaches focused on specific uh, compounds within the sperm. So that e even could be used around the time of intercourse, which would be nice too, to have sort of a quick acting um, method and then even thinking about vasectomies, they're trying to come up with substances that are going to be more easily reversed. Um, and so all of this together, I think the more choice we have um, really expands options for patients. It has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. And thank you so much for taking the time out to talk with us about contraception. No, it's been a treat. Thank you so much. This concludes this episode of ASRM Today. For show notes, other information, and discussions, go to asrmtoday.org.